On October 30th, 2023, President Biden signed an executive order about artificial intelligence. And that afternoon, as the president was joined by Vice President Harris before a packed crowd in the East Room of the White House, the vibe was celebratory. I was there, four rows back from the podium, and it seemed like everyone in the room felt this was a pretty significant win. Not just for the Biden administration, but for society in general. Look, there's no greater change I can think of in my life than AI presents as a potential. Exploring the universe, fighting climate change, ending cancer as we know it, and so much more. As artificial intelligence expands the boundary of human possibility and tests the bounds of human understanding, this landmark executive order is a testament to what we stand for. Safety, security, trust, openness. American leadership and the undeniable rights of down by a creator that no In season one of Technically Optimistic, we talked to members of Congress, policy experts, and researchers about why regulating AI is so uniquely challenging. And here, at the beginning of November, there still isn't a signature piece of legislation in the U.S. that imposes concrete guardrails on the industry. Okay, there are a few bills kicking around in both the House and the Senate, spawning committee hearings like the one I testified at a few weeks ago in the House. My name is Rafi Krikorian. I'm the Chief Technology Officer at Emerson Collective, and I appreciate the subcommittee's ongoing interest in protecting the digital privacy rights of Americans. Personally, I've been fortunate to work... But in the absence of Congress passing any law, Biden's massive executive order is putting a stake in the ground, saying this is what AI regulation should look like in the United States. And there's a lot in there. It's a hundred plus pages, and it's going to take weeks for people to unpack everything in it. I have a lot to say about what I think are the most important objectives to hit in regulating AI and how this executive order stacks up against them. You can check that out in the Technically Optimistic newsletter, technicallyoptimistic.substack.com. It's free to sign up and you'll get my takes on the biggest stories in tech in your inbox every Friday. But today, I wanted to hear about how Biden's plan came about, what its most important provisions are, and get some predictions about what kind of impact this presidential action might have on real life. So I spoke with Courtney Rosen, a reporter who's been covering the White House and tech policy for Bloomberg. You know, the tech industry wants to be regulated on this, but they want the regulations a certain way, of course. And Suresh Venkata Subramanian, the Brown University professor and co-author of the Blueprint for an AI Bill of Rights. There was a lot of solid, reasonable things in the EO that is based off things in the Blueprint, so that was great. But there's so much more to do now. I'm Rafi Krikorian, and this is Technically Optimistic.
over the last year, we've talked to some senators who are really interested on what congressional legislation might look like. But the White House just actually came up with something. Like, they actually put something out there, which, I mean, we've heard whispers about it, but I'm not sure we would have put money on the table that it would happen. I was wondering, given your perspective covering the White House, like, what do you think was going on behind the scenes? Like, how do you think we got to yesterday's order? Months and months in the making. I mean, you ask any reporter who covers tech in the White House, we've been waiting for this for a while. A lot of it was collecting information. We're talking about something that's very new to policymakers, not necessarily new to tech people, but new to policymakers, Mm -hmm. learning about what is this? What does it do? What are the companies involved? Who are the people? That takes a lot of time. I would also say that the new White House chief of staff, or he's relatively new at this point, his name is Jeff Sines. Jeff brings a management, a private sector background that his predecessor didn't have. And so a lot of that, I would say, is him pushing forward on this. He has an expertise to bring that the White House didn't necessarily have before. You know, I was in the room yesterday. I was fortunate to actually be there. Crowded room. (laughs) It felt like a party, right? Like, I mean, there were like so many people excited. There was all this conversation. Do you get a sense that the administration thinks of this as a win? I mean, like, Biden is also even, like, joking on stage and, like, talking about deepfakes. With AI, fraudsters can take three-second, and you all know this, three-second recording of your voice. I've watched one of me on a couple of times. I said, when the hell did I say that? But all kidding aside, three seconds recording your voice in general. Do they really believe this is a win for themselves? Is that why that was happening? Yes, I would say it's normal, though, anytime they make a big policy announcement to invite hundreds of people, have them put them in a room. President cracks jokes, makes speeches. Sometimes the vice president's there. So that's not totally abnormal. But yeah, the president's been talking about this on and off for months. So you know that it's something that he's interested in, as opposed to maybe other policy issues that his team works on that we don't hear from him directly on. So That's been my takeaway, at least, hearing bits and pieces from the president on trips or in press conferences about this technology. Okay, so let's talk about the actual order for a second. I mean, it's 100 plus pages. I haven't even read it fully in detail myself just yet. Um, I will admit I sent it through an LLM to try to summarize it for me. From your perspective, what are the key provisions that you are the most excited about? The first thing that I think is most impactful is this idea of requiring developers to safety test new models. The federal government does a ton of business with tech companies. Tech companies really care what that customer thinks. That was really the lever that Biden had to pull that would have been most powerful, in my view, in this order. Leveraging the federal government's purchasing power is very big. Talking about companies like Microsoft or Google or Amazon that do business with the federal government having to follow these rules in order to stay compliant. And so that was huge to me for sure. The other part of it that was interesting is he doubled down on this idea of existing law applies to this new technology. So much of the concern that we've heard from civil rights groups, for example, is how AI technology can produce outcomes that are discriminatory. Think, for example, someone who goes to apply for an apartment and the screening technology on the other side is powered by AI. That type of technology is still going to be subject to the Fair Housing Act. The Justice Department has said that. 
And this was the president doubling down on that and kind of giving a direction to his agencies to say, okay, look at what you already do every day. How does that apply to something that's newer and we know is going to be a bigger and bigger part of American life? Invoked the Defense Production Act at one point. Yeah. And actually said, like, the Commerce Department has 90 days to actually start getting things in place for dual use. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like, how, how should I think that through? That seemed like a big deal as well. The Commerce Department is home to the really smart scientists. So when you see Commerce Department, I always think of the National Institute of Standards and Technology, which is where the really smart tech people work in the government. So I would think about that as a direction to them to actually write the details of these standards. It's one thing to say developers are going to be subject to safety tests and have to report those results to the government. Okay, what does that mean in practice? I would also say that the 90-day piece, usually executive orders, when we get them, I call them kind of a to-do list for government. (laughs) And so there'll be deadlines. You know, we want this agency to do this by X date and that agency by Y date. Agencies often miss those deadlines, um, but the idea is is to have a sequence of tasks to get to an end goal. You can't have these developers report if they don't know what they're reporting on. The other piece is the Defense Production Act. I mean, that goes back to leveraging the government's power as a major tech customer. Government is a huge customer for tech. The U.S. set aside $1.6 billion in fiscal 23 to spend on what they'll call artificial intelligence, $1.6 billion for things that mentioned AI in it or included AI. And we don't even have the full spending data yet. So we're talking major amounts of money for tech companies. And so when he invokes that Defense Production Act, that's where I see that going. So how do you think conversations with these companies are now going? Like there's these transparency requirements. There's this mandate to submit to pre-release testing, which is sometimes called red teaming. How do you think the companies are thinking things through? And how do you think the White House is now thinking through their possible reactions here? The tech companies, the president has done a lot of communication with them. The way that this was built is earlier in the summer, there were 15 companies that made voluntary commitments to certain principles that the White House wanted them to meet on artificial intelligence. And we're talking about companies like Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Intel, OpenAI. Those were all voluntary. So when those commitments were made, the White House was already establishing relationships with these companies and taking in feedback and expectations. I would also say I've been covering regulation for a while You very often don't hear an industry say, we want to be regulated. (laughs) That's very unusual. Now, if you read between the lines in that, you know, the tech industry wants to be regulated on this, but they want the regulations a certain way, of course. But they're really looking for guidance here from the government. How do you think this all fits into this international picture? Like, I'm assuming this was timed very carefully. The vice president is leaving for London. Yes. The UK summit is occurring. Yes. Maybe we're losing the narrative for a second to the Brits. Like, how do you think this is all coming together? I was calling this week earlier on AI week. <laughs> the US government wants to make a statement ahead of this international conference in the UK about its position on AI. We don't have legislation that our Congress has passed. And so this executive order gives Vice President Kamala Harris something to take to this conference and say, hey, we're serious about this policy. So definitely in the context of the broader global discussion, this helps other countries understand the U.S. position early on while we wait for legislation, which may not happen. I don't know. 
I know I was actually, I had this conversation I was having with number 10 just a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And their comment was just like, well, Rafi, like you Americans are not going to get their acts together till 2025. Like your Congress is shut down. You're, you're going to run out of money soon. You didn't have a speaker at that point. Your elections are coming up. Is that how the White House looks at it? Like this was our only shot in order to get something in place? I don't think that the White House looks at this as the only shot. The White House is trying to get ahead of a technology that Americans are already using every day. We're not talking about something far into the future. I mean, I go home and I use AI to figure out what to cook for dinner. Or Netflix. Right. So they needed to make a statement about something that Americans, it's already permeated American life. I don't expect that legislation is going to come quickly. Senator Schumer yesterday walked out of the White House to talk to reporters, and he got that exact question. You know, why should we trust that Congress is going to move on this? And his answer was, This is one of the most complicated types of policy that I've worked on in my career. And it's going to take a lot of education, a lot of learning before we can even begin to write text for a bill, understand what it is we need to regulate. And uh, we're moving forward. We're asking the right questions. We're getting good answers. It's helping us prepare legislation. Thank you, everybody. So there's still a lot of questions about how this moves forward for sure. This is outside my wheelhouse, but I'm curious, like, there are a bunch of national security carve-outs all over the place here. It says that agencies should, quote, establish appropriate guidelines except for AI used as a component of a national security system. It also doesn't talk about AI and policing and other places. Why are there these exceptions, do you think? There's a lot of blank space in the executive order for agencies to fill in. You'll notice as you're reading, it will say something like the Department of Defense will write a report by X date or write a plan on how they're going to do something else. That's a lot to get into one executive order. I mean, I read it, a draft version last week that was dated October 23rd, and it was 111 pages. I mean, this thing was already massive. And also, so a lot of times what executive orders do is quite frankly, direct more reports. Um, And so I would wait to see before making a judgment or thinking about what red teaming will look like to wait and see what these departments say in their specific areas. Has this order moved out any hope of a new agency that might be focusing on either AI or emerging technologies? Because it seems like the strategy is, like you said earlier, like let's empower everyone. Let's make sure that existing laws and frameworks are put in place. Does this mean that we're not thinking about a new centralized place to put this? We just have to get talent everywhere across the government? You need Congress to authorize a new agency to be created. President Biden's trying to fill in that interim. I wouldn't say that that idea is completely off the table. I haven't heard the president talk about it a ton, but he needs a, a meantime solution, right? And so that's why I see a lot of it of agencies applying existing laws, because He needs to be able to act now while we wait for Congress. The merits of that idea, I don't know if he supports it, doesn't. What Congress thinks is, of course, important. Um, So I wouldn't rule it out yet, but it's not the focus right now. Got it. That's very helpful. Okay, I, I get that. Can we talk about immigration then for a second? Sure. The federal government needs to get more talent. 
How does the talent side of this all then play out in your mind? Mm-hmm. There are seems to be provisions on we need to allow for more immigrants to actually stay and actually, yes. you know, my wife is a Stanford professor in computer science, mm-hmm. and she has this problem all the time. Of her students are trying to get jobs, but they're racing the clock with their visa situation. It seems like there's an opening now to perhaps like rectify that entire situation as well. When you asked me earlier for the biggest takeaways out of the order, this was number two for me. This focus on talent, not just talent at tech companies, but also staffing up inside the federal government to understand and apply it to different applications, right? Yeah. You have the Health and Human Services Department talking about how AI will be used in patient care. You need some people who know what they're talking about to move forward with that. This idea that we're competing for talent with China, with other foreign competitors, they're trying to make it easier or streamline for tech workers who have a specific focus in AI, which, quite frankly, I would <laughs> that might be a yeah. very narrow <laughs> definition. I can count them on two hands, kind of thing. Right. So maybe call them tech workers. I don't know. But the idea of streamlining how it is that people with this type of talent can come to the U.S. for college or university and stay in the U.S., that's pretty huge. We're going to have to wait and see what the details look like. You know, what is AI talent? And in terms of the federal government, whenever in the last couple of years, President Biden has signed a major bill that requires some kind of expertise to implement. Let's talk about the infrastructure bill, for example. The federal government has then gone and done what it calls a hiring surge for people to fill that need. So engineers, construction, anyone you'd need to build a bridge, road, train, et cetera. It's not unusual for me to see the federal government to do one of those hiring sprees and to really push for a certain type of expertise. I've never seen them do it on AI. So that's pretty meaningful here in terms of you got to get the bureaucracy to move in one direction. He's shoving the bureaucracy toward it for sure. Well, actually, can we talk about that shoving for a second? Sure. There was this notion in the EO about the use of AI in the federal government itself. It reads... As generative AI products become widely available and common in online platforms, agencies are discouraged from imposing broad general bans or blocks on agency use of generative AI. Agencies should, instead, limit access as necessary to specific generative AI services based on specific risk assessments, end quote. So that's effectively saying, don't ban it, but use it. Is that the way I should read that? That's the way I read it. Different agencies have different missions, right? So serving veterans, serving patients, health and human services, immigration, whatever the mission is, the need for AI in that context has very different applications. Mm -hmm. So this idea of saying no one can outright ban it kind of forces these agencies to look at what it is they do all day and how can they automate, how can they integrate this technology to make their processes go faster. The IRS is a great example of that. I don't know if you've seen images of stacks and stacks of papers that the IRS deals with, people who file paper returns or documents that have been sitting there forever. I mean, the IRS has said that AI is a way to be able to move faster. That's huge. To be able to, you know, process returns faster, process refunds. When you call the IRS, have a human answer because they're not sitting there, you know, processing all that paperwork. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, every agency's got to be thinking about it for sure. And, of course, there's also limitations and there's big warning signs about 
how to use it that civil rights experts will tell you. But sure. yeah, agencies have got to be looking at it for sure. And that's what the president's trying to do. So what, what, what happens next? How should a regular American interpret this EO or like what should they expect to see happening next? So I would watch, first of all, President Biden is meeting with Senator Schumer and a couple of lawmakers in the Senate to talk about AI legislation. He hasn't necessarily put forward a vision for how he sees the legislation. For this to move along, the president has to say what he'll support on any bill, not just AI. So I would be watching for the Senate to start to develop a bill, but also for the president to say, this is what I want. This is what I don't want. The other piece I would be watching over the next couple months is the enforcement agencies, the Federal Trade Commission, the Justice Department, Mm -hmm. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, to see how they move forward with applying existing laws to whatever it is that they regulate or enforce in the first place. The Justice Department did something that was really unique back in January where they said that Civil rights laws will apply to these AI-powered tenant screening programs when someone goes to apply for an apartment. That's a way for the Justice Department to kind of send out a signal to everyone that our laws are not changing, our focus is not changing, we're going to apply it to the technology. So I would really watch those enforcement agencies and see what they have to say, because before there's legislation, they're really the strength of the executive branch. The third thing I would be watching is Vice President Harris is going to United Kingdom for this international conference. And so I would watch to see how Vice President Harris approaches that and how she presents the U.S. perspective, which is going to be this executive order. Just to give an update, two days after I spoke with Courtney, VP Harris spoke at the U.S. Embassy in London a speech that some commentators saw as unpacking the details of Biden's executive order. As history has shown, in the absence of regulation and strong government oversight, some technology companies choose to prioritize profit over the well-being of their customers, the safety of our communities, and the stability of our democracies. She also talked about establishing an AI Safety Institute, which could be the agency that's going to develop the testing standards mentioned in the executive order. The U.S. cares and the president cares a lot about what is happening on the world stage with AI and how the U.S. measures up. The president did have one note talking about AI and labor. Mm -hmm. The fourth thing this order does, it will ensure that Emerging technology works for consumers and for workers. To protect workers, this order directs the government to help make sure AI isn't used to shortchange workers. I've also asked for a comprehensive report on the potential impact of AI on the labor market and how to help workers whose jobs have been disrupted. I mean, this president has clearly been such a pro-labor president, like remarkably so in a lot of ways. I wonder if, like, is there are people on his team who are literally looking at this as AI could cause labor shortages? What are, do you think are all the different angles that are looking at in that line? President Biden loves to say he's a union president. If you've seen, there's been lots of strikes over the summer and even into the fall and lots of tension between companies and their unions. AI shows up as one of the issues that workers are talking about very often. 
And I think the White House is aware of that for sure. And labor matters to this White House deeply, especially going into 2024. So when we're talking about how AI affects labor, they're very sensitive to that. What it actually will look like, not totally clear yet, but they're very sensitive to the concerns of the unions on this technology in particular. Last question. The president himself, mm-hmm. you know, he spoke with a lot of awe around James Webb Telescope and things like that, which I also found actually quite nice. And AI is helping the National Weather Service predict weather events, helping web tech, the, web, web, te, the web telescope manage half a million miles of galaxies away, billions of light years away. I found it when I turned on my phone and saw that. I thought, my God, what is this? Science fiction. Uh, I'm serious. Didn't you have the same thought when you saw it? Where do you think he is personally coming from in all this? The president really respects scientists. When I see him in meetings, he has a president's council on science and technology. That's not a Biden invention. That's typical of a president to have some kind of board of advisors with tech and science. Every time he has those meetings, he spends lots of time raving about their expertise, how impressed he is, how much he learns from them. He's definitely not an expert. He may not even be using it himself um, for basic tasks, (laughs) but he's got a lot of respect for science and the people who have that expertise for sure. Courtney, I so, so really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. We talked to Suresh Venkata Subramanian a bunch in season one. In 2022, working for the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy, Suresh wrote a document called The Blueprint for an AI Bill of Rights. And this document is referenced explicitly in Biden's order. I wanted to ask him how we felt about this. So we spoke again last Tuesday. I, you know, I personally have mixed feelings, not, not mixed as in good or bad, just mixes in different kinds of feelings. Um, on the one hand, it was so gratifying to hear them call out, but I think it was also, it was also just gratifying for the EO to come out, right? Just mm-hmm. to, to see all that work that so many people had put in for so many years, just show up in a way that, you know, I think on balance, people feel was solid and good. You know, there are lots of things to, you know, work on further. I think maybe that's the second part of your question. But they were, on balance, it was good. It was There was a lot of solid, reasonable things in the EO that is based off in spirit and in, in letter from things in the blueprint. So that was great. And um, I, I think it is also a start, right? So it's a sense of, okay, we did this, but wait, there's so much more to do now. Right? I think the OMB guidance that is expected to come out soon will have much more. And I think for those for those of us who know how this gets played out in, in reality, that guidance is going to be really important to making sure that we can, I think, hold the administration to the promise of the EO. You know, depending on who you talk to, people are just like, EOs are not that important, or they're just like one part of it. I spoke to a Bloomberg reporter this morning who called it like, it's a to-do list for the government. You tweeted, I think, just yesterday, just like, actually, this is really important. Yeah. Could, could you just walk me through that? There's a there's a History Channel list of the top of the most ten Im- most important EOs in the history of the country, um, and, and number one is the Emancipation Proclamation. Um, also a to do list, you know they, they're working on still. I don't know what to say to people who say an EO is not important. 
you know, you can't write laws. You're not Congress. The EO is the most important thing you can work on. And most people work for a long time on policy that doesn't make it to an EO. Only, only the most important things make it to an EO. The fact that there's an EO on AI means that the president has said that this is an issue that requires a statement and work. So an EO is extremely important. It's a, it is both a powerful, powerful signal to agencies that says, this is where our priorities are, this is what you will do. But it's also very specific things that they will do. And the EO says, you know, things like within 180 days, you will do this. Within a 240 days, you will do that. It's very, very clear. And the OMB guidance that comes along with this will be much more specific. I don't know what to say to people who say that an EO is just uh, is, is not important. I mean, I, that's just completely wrong. Okay, maybe let's dive into it for a second then. So like, what are the highlights? What are the lowlights for you? I mean, I, I can mention like, for me, Obviously, all the work around discrimination, algorithmic discrimination, other super great, and I would love to hear your thought of that. But I also want to hear about national security loopholes or like policing not being really mentioned in there. I think you covered it. I think I, I would agree with what you described as the highlights. I think I would say the broad protections for people, concerns around equity, civil rights, and the fact that this has to be a whole of government approach is really a highlight of this. Mm. I know some have tried to call this a grab bag. I think that is maybe literally a grab bag in the sense of it's a lot of things, but it has to be because AI is something that touches every aspect of government. And there's always been a struggle with AI because it's so cross-cutting to say, do you want something single from the top or do you want something distributed from the bottom? And the answer with complicated things like this is you want both. You can't have an only a top-down approach because agencies know exactly what they need to do. You can't only have a bottom-up approach because you want coordination and you want the basic principles to be laid on clearly. So you need to have both. And I think the EO tries to navigate that, I think, reasonably well by saying, look, this is what you want. We have things like the blueprint, values that capture what we want. And agencies, go and figure out how to do it because you're the experts at doing this. I think this is a very measured and a reasonable way to do this that will actually get buy-in from agencies rather than just telling them, hey, go do something that we told you to do. So I think that's good. All of that is good. That philosophy is good. The coverage is good. I am also disappointed with the lack of attention to law enforcement broadly. And the reason I'm disappointed is because the problem with law enforcement, and this also gets into issues around immigration, right, is that it is very easy to start having law enforcement work leach into immigration work and leach into national security work. And then suddenly, oh, you can't touch this. Mm. And this is not true. Yes, there's a, there is a continuum of a certain kind, but there are many, many broad areas around policing, risk assessments, the crime forecasting, the term they use, that should be covered, needs to be covered, is one of the most important places where AI has been used and used badly with huge ramifications for people's lives and liberty. And I think much more needs to be done there. I think the EO gestures a little bit towards it, but it could have done a lot more, I think. But as you said, this is probably just the beginning or what's your hopes for how this moves forward? So my hope is that the OMB guidance will flesh this out some more. Again, I don't know. We're all waiting to see what it comes. And I'm, my hope is that it will flesh it out more. And I hope that, you know, I hope that also there is a culture change that comes as a result of this. I think mm -hmm. one thing that I'm most happy about with this EO is that the way it essentially enshrines the idea that you've got to test this stuff before you put it out there. You can't just throw out things and expect magic to happen and use people as guinea pigs for technology. And that's a through line through all the EO. It's a, it was a through line in the blueprint, right? The first principle was systems should be tested to be safe and effective, right? So I hope that that culture change, even if it doesn't explicitly make it into the guidance for law enforcement, makes it because people will be trained to say, well, wait, why are we doing this stuff without testing it? 
I mean, that's a very weak sauce expectation because I would like much more direct answers. But if I have to be hopeful, this is what I'd be hopeful for. And then as you think about like implementation, I'm not an expert on implementation, so I actually don't fully understand how this will translate. Like what does talent look like needed in order to pull this off? For example, all the red teaming things that now we're throwing onto NIST to actually get done. Like how does that actually work and get implemented? Like what are the next steps? So it's complicated, I think. You can set up collections of standards, and NIST will do a great job of this, as they always do. And you can think of each of these standards as kind of a, a bulb on a dashboard, a little LED light on a dashboard, right? These are technical things you can do. You can you know, have some a system that does this, and you'll get a dashboard with a bunch of lights that will light up in different ways when you put a system through it. But then you need someone to interpret the pattern of lights and say, okay, this pattern of lights, I see what's going on. That's probably okay. This pattern of lights, oh, there's a big problem here. And that's staffing, and that's expertise. You do need that. You need to build it. I think the EO talks a little bit about staffing, but it's it's not just a matter of teaching people things, because I know that I teach this, right? I, I, I teach this work, and I also struggle to tell students, okay, here's what you do when you see this pattern of lights. That's experience. Mm -hmm. So really, I think the idea of institutionalizing the governance of AI, having expert people who come in who may not have the expertise from day one, but are whose job it is to govern these systems, have this chief AI officer in each every agency, who have to learn how to manage these systems and then have that expertise build up over time is, I think, how people are going to learn how to interpret the patterns of signals that, that NIST and others will provide for them. So that's how I see this working together, ideally, but we'll see. Can we talk about some specific ones in there? So like I, I was very fascinated by the watermarking section, for example. The Department of Commerce needs to go and actually figure out like how are we going to get provenance of all this information? Is this the right direction that we should be going? Is watermarking the path forward? It is part of the path forward. Oh. In general, I tend to resist, maybe it's the academic in me, I tend to resist sort of, here's a single answer to all the questions. Yeah, silver bullets. Yeah, so I, I, sometimes there are silver bullets and we should find them. I'm not convinced there's a silver bullet here. So so to, to say that, to support watermarking by saying it'll solve the problem, no. But to critique watermarking by saying it can't solve the problem, also no. In other words, it's part of the solution. What watermarking can do, and I must say will do, but can do is legitimize legitimate actors producing legitimate content, right? So it's not that we're going to say, oh, because we have watermarking, even the people producing bad content will have to use it. No, they'll find other ways to get around it, sure. But then at least if it is watermarked, you know it's a legitimate authority source. If you have things that don't, well, then now you need other things, other ways to tell what's legitimate or not. So that's why I think it's a good, it's a good way to carve off a section you know, for important information coming from the government, which you want to be reliable, to have this watermarking associated with it. So I think right now the EO takes this approach that every agency in the government needs to effectively step up. We need to apply existing laws and frameworks to all this technology. Another way to think about this is we could have a new department, a set of people focused purely on AI in a more centralized way inside government. Are we in the right path? Is this because this is an executive order, we have to go down this way instead of another possible way? What, how do you think that works out? So this executive order does call for an AI council within the White House. So to the extent that there is centralization, it will be there. Having participated in, and led activities of this kind, I will say that it is very hard to do this top down. You need deep expertise from inside agencies to truly understand how policies are going to play out. So no matter what you do, you're going to need to have agency expertise. Now, 
creating a whole new agency. I again, I'm not an expert, but I believe that's the province of Congress. Like even with it's DHS, Congress. the office was created within the executive order, and then Congress had to create the departments. So that's up to Congress to decide. I'm not convinced that a department is necessary. In a lot of my own work, academic work, I'm constantly advocating for having more specificity rather than less. That having too much abstraction around AI is where the problems start because mm. we start talking very vaguely about harms in some kind of ethereal sense and we aren't concretizing the problem where it needs to be, right? The harms coming with facial recognition are different to the harms coming with diagnostic tools in medicine and are different from the harms coming from deceptive use of a chatbot. They're all harms. They're all AI, but they're very different. Sure. So if you try to talk about them all at the same level, you end up with very vague things that are not useful policy. And so I'm constantly instinctively thinking we need to be more specific rather than less. So I tend to militate against a single agency versus having work in agencies. It's just harder to do command and control with agencies doing their own work. Yeah, yeah. At the core, I believe in giving people the power, empowering people to make the decisions that make sense in their own context. And I think that applies here as well. I mean, I can't help notice that this was released at a very particular time. The vice president's about to leave for a UK summit around AI and safety, an international conversation about it. Congress is semi-frozen around this issue, although Leader Schumer has been trying to do a lot of work. Like, Congress has to deal with a budget shortfall. We have election next year with all this stuff. Like, how do you feel about this sort of like in the time that we're sitting in, like in this international time and this domestic time? I think the administration could have done nothing. They could have said, well, we're going to wait for Congress to do Congress's process. And they could have said, we'll just wait for the G7 to do its own thing. They decided not to. So I think they acted and that was great. And that, that just shows the level of determination and focus. That, they, that, that That's good. I, I really praise them for that. Timing is always political. You know, everything is political. I, I know that, you know, we used to always think about, you know, what are the key events that we want to organize our activities around and what makes sense. So people pay attention when, when you have, you know, when everyone says, oh, there's a week of activity happening in AI, people pay attention. And that's what you want. Ultimately, you want people paying attention. You don't want to do something out and then no one pays attention to it. So, sure. And I hope that Congress will be able to, you know, resolve the more pressing issues right now with what's going on around the world and with the budget. And, and, and I'm hopeful that the insight forums will lead to some concrete legislation. I know that people are working on it. I think I know that there are they have legislative text and they're, I think, waiting for the forums to sort of settle, to sort of figure out what to do. I would, I would be not surprised to see a flurry of bills introduced very early in January or, early, or late January, and then we'll see what happens. Maybe one last question. What's the future of the blueprint given this new executive order? Like, how does the ideas and thoughts of the, the blueprint move on through the world? It's already moving on through the EO. It's in the EO. Like I said, I'm hoping it'll be in the guidance as well. And there's no reason to expect it won't, but it should be. And that's exactly what we had hoped for, right? I mean, I think the whole point of the blueprint was to say, you know, we've distilled what people have been saying for so long. We've distilled all the understanding. We've distilled what we should be doing. We've distilled out the way in which people are harmed and we need protections. Now, everyone go forth and do your thing, whether you're a state, whether you're a local government, whether you're the federal government, whether you're Congress, go forth and do your thing. I, I feel like we changed the conversation. I mean, yeah. uh, I have a bit of pride about this and I, I won't uh, be too ashamed. I think we changed the conversation and we're seeing the effects of that. No, I mean, I, I do too. I mean, I'm, you have to remember, as a cynical academic, it's hard, you know, you, <laughs> I, I only allow myself three seconds of glory for anything. So, but this was, I'm going to give myself four seconds for this one. <laughs> one of these days, I'm going to take you to coffee and then we can do a fifth. Suresh, I, again, thank you so much for such short notice. I don't want to take up too much of your time. No, thank you again. For, I appreciate the reach out and appreciate all the work you're doing. 
Our website is emersoncollective.com slash technically optimistic. Subscribe to the newsletter at technicallyoptimistic.substack.com. And as always, follow us on social media at Emerson Collective. I'm Rafi Krikorian. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time on Technically Optimistic.